Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Speakers. Southwestern Speakers is comprised of top producing thought leaders, authors, and experts who deliver dynamic presentations that shift the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Our team of experienced agents can guide you to find the right speaker for your annual conferences, meetings, and events, providing outstanding service from start to finish. Southwestern Speakers goes above and beyond to elevate your event and offers additional programs to extend the impact of our speaker's presentation long after they have left the stage. This is the Action Catalyst podcast. We have an excellent guest today that I'm very excited to be talking with, Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton has won 70 figure skating titles, awards and honors, and is a member of the Olympic Hall of Fame and the World Figure Skating Hall of Fame. The gold medalist is also a cancer survivor and activist launching the Scott Hamilton Cares Foundation. Scott, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Hey, thank you very much. This will be fun. We're neighbors here in Nashville, Tennessee. How long have you been in Nashville? 15 years total. What brought you to Nashville? You know, I, I spent most of my time in Denver. And then I survived cancer and uh, decided I needed to kind of step away and kind of figure things out what my next move was. And I just sort of got in my car and I drove and I ended up in L.A., you know, somehow and just sort of like if I kept driving, I would end up in the ocean. So I thought I better stop. <laughs> and uh, I figured it was, you know, honestly, it's kind of crazy to say this, but L.A. was a really good place to be alone. You know, it's designed for that, you know, so I kind of was in and out of kind of isolation. I would, I would do all my work and tour and then I go back to LA in the summer and I made some really lifelong friends there, but it was there that I met my wife. We had our first child and neither one of us felt like raising him in Southern California was best for him. So we, um, we had some friends from Nashville and they said, why don't you check it out? My wife's from Jackson, Tennessee. So we decided to come back and kick the tires on it for a few days. And we decided it'd be a great place to raise a family. So now we have four kids and uh, we just couldn't be happier to live in this community. It's a spectacular community. I agree. Yeah, it seems that there's a lot of people moving from California to Nashville right now. I yeah, I call Franklin a refugee colony for Los Angeles. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I know you're the author of three best-selling books, and you speak often on how winning strategies from the ice can be translated to the business world and other worlds. Tell us a little bit about that. That's fascinating. Well, I mean, winning, you know, is there are certain um, habits, there are certain action items that need to be put in place in order to be successful in anything. And sports, I think, you know, is such a great draw. You know, there's such a light on sports because of you know, just the, the drama of winners lose or, you know, succeed or fail or all those things. But, you know, to be able to even be competitive on the level that we see these athletes, you know, it takes so much to get there. 
And it's the same in any uh, life aspiration. You know, if you really want to be successful in business, you pretty much have to take the same steps, obviously different capacities, but the same steps in order to be successful. There's got to be commitment. There's got to be a real desire to be successful, which means, you know, it's not only just showing up, but it's showing up with the intention of getting better and stronger. There's the idea of how to process failure. And uh, I've got my own thoughts on that. And then you know, criticism, you know, how do you process criticism and it's up commitment levels. And there's so much about falling down and getting up, you know, and skating that really works in every aspect of life. That is amazing. And a lot of the athletes that we work with at Southwestern, you do see that translation of the, the mental toughness in the dedication, the perseverance, all those things. It really does translate to not just business, but in life in general. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like you wake up and you say, this is who I am. You know, it takes a lot of time. And, and you know, it, it, in order to build physical muscles, emotional muscles, intellectual muscles, spiritual muscles, you have to, you know, exercise them and flex them. And, and you know, they're, they're good. there's going to be injury. There's going to be, you know, in any walk of life and anything, you know, if, an, an injury, I'd say in business is either going bankrupt or getting fired, you know. And so, you know, those are those types of failures that, you know, you need to process. And, and in writing my last book, Finish First, it's just sort of a guide to winning. It really is about failure really becoming a tool for education, not uh, a burdensome, like disfiguring scar on your soul and being, you know, that you have to carry around with you for the rest of your life. You know, I, I try to encourage people that if we can really just sort of turn failure into information, you know, it's a lot easier and a lot lighter, you know, to walk through life that way. You know, failure is, okay, that didn't work. Um, that ended badly. Let's figure out a way to do it better next time. And then just allow the other one to be kind of, you know, delete and discard. And I, I learned from that. I can move on from that. And and I guess a, a great uh, example of that was when my, my youngest son was started playing hockey and he was playing in the house league and he could skate okay, but he didn't know what he was doing out there, you know. So they got spanked really bad one day. I think it was like 10 to one or something like that. It was really, you know, it's house league. So it's not really high levels or anything. And he got in the car and he was really little and, and he was really upset. You know, he was like, I hated that. That was awful. I, I just said, what, you know, it was so embarrassing. And I go, okay, let's break it down. Okay. What happened today? And he goes, well, they, they skated faster than me. And I go, okay, what else? And he goes, and they kept taking the puck away from me. And I go, well, that's kind of the, the game, you know, it's sort of like, that's, and then he goes, and they were just, they were just better. And I go, wow. So what did you learn today? And he goes, well, I learned that I've got to skate faster and I've got to handle the puck better. And, and I've just got to figure out a way to win. And I go, that's awesome. I go, can I ask you a question? And I go, let's say you won today. And he goes, yeah. And I go, what would you have learned? And he thought about it for a second. He said, nothing. I go, exactly. You know, so these are learning opportunities. These are growing opportunities. I see it everywhere and I'm guilty as well. You know, my failures, I, you know, I still carry a lot of them with me, but I don't carry them as, as scars and humiliations. You know, I carry them as that's a learning opportunity. This was a fork in the road. This was important. I need to remember what that feels like so that I, I when I step into the next, I don't fear that because I've already endured it and I can step into the next without worrying about ah, that, you know, that horrible idea of failure. So yeah, I know it seems kind of cliche in so many ways, but it, it truly is the better way to live. You know, it's like, okay, 
I'm learning, I'm growing, you know, I'm 63 now and I'm still learning and I'm not really growing anymore. In fact, I'm probably shrinking, but I'm growing emotionally, intellectually and spiritually. Um, and I'm still trying to grow physically, you know, just trying to get strong every day and, and trying to figure out a way to be healthier than I was yesterday. But, you know, it, it's just sort of that's the mindset. And it's one of the other cliches that I kind of wear my kids out with and they always kind of roll their eyes. I go, what's the greatest strength? Like if somebody asked you that question, how would you respond to that? What's the greatest strength? Your attitude. I'd say that's a really great place to start. But I always instill in them and they always kind of roll their eyes and answer the question the same way is to me, a greatest strength is a lack of weakness, right? We have so many things within us that kind of hold us back that, you know, need work that prevent us from being successful, that if we can get strong in those weak areas, now, you know, we're more fortified and, and we're more able to step into that field or that competitive atmosphere without something that's that's holding us back, right? Find out where you're weak and get strong. And I guess the, the best example I can give of this is when I was competing, <laughs> the voice of figure skating was Dick Button. And Dick Button was always very, um, you know, he, very critical. And he would always, you know, point out things with skaters that really, you know, just like, oh, that was atrocious. And that was just disappointing. And how can this person be winning at this level with such a horrible camel spin or the, the choreography here is lacking and all these things that he would, he would say in each broadcast. And I'd listen and I'd say, okay, he said, I, I wasn't good at that. All right. So he's never after this season, he's never going to be able to say that again. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. so, you know, the next year he'd go to look for that same criticism and it was, wasn't there and he'd have to find something else. And when he found it, I'd say, okay, he's never going to say that again. And so I'd work on that. And the next year, you know, I'd come back and he'd say, well, you know, I, I really like the direction, but I think that you know, and it would be another criticism. And I'd say, okay, he's not going to be able to say that again. And so by the time I showed up at the Olympics in 1984, he was a cheerleader. There really wasn't anything left for him to criticize. And, you know, and it was really funny how, you know, my whole uh, preparation mentality, you know, for those years that I was on top of the sport was to shut Dick Button up. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, it's funny how we become such dear friends and I just respect him and I admire him and I still call him the greatest skater of all time. But, you know, it, it was um, amazing that, you know, learning in that it's like, there's a criticism. Okay. All right. And then, you know, and then I've learned, you know, over the years that criticism comes in two forms and two forms only opinion and fact. So, you know, if you're on social media and you, you know, you, people just want to pile on and they want to say terrible things and they want to be, you know, horrible and, and you go, okay, well, that's somebody's opinion. And plus they'd never say it to my face. So, but if somebody comes and says, you know, you're really not very good at this. And I think about it and I go, well, that's rooted in fact. Thank you. That's a gift. Thank you. I had one judge uh, tell my coach, um, this is when I started coming up in the rankings. And she said, it's really wonderful to see Scott doing so much better. But you all have to understand that he's too short to be competitive internationally. And I took a step back from that one. And it's like, okay, I can't really fix that. <laughs> but then I thought, I go, okay, well, can I, is there other people like me that have been successful in the sport? And I went back and I go, you know, the 1960, see, there was no American Olympic champion between 1960 and 1984. And so I, I thought back and I go, well, David Jenkins won in 1960 and he's my size. So it's obvious that this judge doesn't like short people. 
So instead of taking that criticism and allowing it to defeat me because I can't really fix my height, I'm not going to put lifts in my skates or have sections of bone put into my legs. You know, it's like I decided that it was just really much better for me not to have her on my panel. <laughs> because, you know, And so it's that, you know, it's like you're always going to be up against it. You're always going to be there's always going to be resistance. It's just how do you deal with it? How do you process it? How do you respond to it? And, you know, in, in some of those cases when it is purely based in opinion, and there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, you just sort of delete it and move on. And when it's rooted in fact, you look at that as not something that's devastating or I was just, I was just, somebody just, you know, put me down. It's like, no, if, if there is a criticism there and it's rooted in fact, then I, I really believe it's a gift. I love that, Scott. That is so inspiring. And it's a testimony to where you recently launched Live Your Days. And it's a call to be present and not allow mediocrity and complacency to set in. And this is a big topic that I think is so needed across America and the world, helping people to even identify what is complacency, what is mediocrity, and how do you break free of that? And it seems so inspiring. So why do you think this is important? Well, I mean, that that whole platform came out of, um, it was really wild. I was diagnosed with my third brain tumor. I've had this long history of collecting life-threatening illness. Um, not a hobby I'd recommend. It came out of my third brain tumor. And so they're giving me my treatment options. And it was like the Charlie Brown comic where it's like, blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm like, I hear what they're saying, but all I kept in the back of my mind and my spirit, all I heard was get strong. What do you mean get strong? So do you want to do surgery? Uh, get strong. No, and I, and I don't, I know. I don't think so yet. All right. So then the medical guy came in. He goes, Oh, yeah, there's this new targeted chemotherapy drug that has shown, you know, it's a trial that might work on your tumor. Uh, you want to, you want to try that? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, get strong. No, I, I think I'm just going to think about this for a while and I'm just going to kind of go home and get strong. And I honestly didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if it meant physically, emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually. So I kind of cho- chose, you know, like what I did in high school, you know, I chose E on the above. You know, here. What's the worst thing could happen? Uh, you have to be right on some level, right? And it was right after that that I did an interview with people.com. And they, you know, they asked me how I do these things. And I just said, you know, with optimism and everything, I said, look, you know, our bodies are really super susceptible to a lot of things, fragile, vulnerable. They're also equally resilient, but ultimately temporary. And so I go, I really just want to live my days joyfully, productively, abundantly, and faithfully, you know? And so um, I was working with a team to kind of create the next, you know, message, you know, and all my speaking and everything. And they came up with the kind of live your days mentality. And in my heart, and in my, that voice that's always yakking at me, I just thought it wasn't the right time to present it. And so I just said, let's just tap the brakes on this one and just think about when, you know, because right now it doesn't feel like the right message for me, but I know that it will be someday. Uh, let's just shelve this for now. And so we were in month two of the uh, two weeks to flatten the curve lockdowns. And I got an email from this company saying, can we talk on the phone this afternoon? I said, absolutely. We, we connected and, and she said, now? Yeah, I go, now. People really need now. They need more encouragement now more than ever. And it's really important that um, we understand our lives and the power we have to live them. And we just have to take charge now. We just have to understand that, you know, we're living in this really crazy time in our world and um, we're being threatened by this pathogen. And and we've got to just figure out ways of getting strong and 
recognizing the joyful aspects of our lives, our quality aspects of our lives, building those muscles so that, you know, when things like this come in, people are fortified and they go, okay, I got it. We'll be fine. And so we, we launched them your days and it was a blast. It kept me really busy during a really quiet time in our nation's history. And, and I'm really proud of, you know, just the intentionality that the idea of people go on liveyourdays.com, they can take the 30 day challenge and they can, you know, they, they can just build, you know, it's, it says it's like what, 12 days to build a habit, right? This is 30 days. And it's not like hard work. It's not like we're going to say, okay, today you're going to do a triathlon. It's nothing like that. It's like day one, spoiler alert. Um, is write three things down that you're most grateful for and why. And so it's that first step into gratitude and contentment. And it's that first step into, well, I know I've got, I'm under attack right now, but I've, I've got this that, you know, I can really just recognize and hang on to. So it was a fun thing to do uh, during the pandemic. And I'm really hoping that it finds its second generation, its second life in a time in a world that really is um, on the, it feels like it's always on the brink. That's amazing, Scott. So it seems that the world right now is full of fear and division and taking steps towards living your days is the antidote to not having fear, not living in this divisive world. Well, yes, I I do think that it's understanding who we are as individuals. And I saw a meme, you know, during, you know, kind of the the initial throes of uh, the lockdowns and everything. It said, fear is their weapon. Truth is ours. And I I live in faith. And and I understand that, you know, that we're going to go through all times, trials and tribulations and all those things. But it it, we still have the uh, power and, and personal authority to you know, step into a transaction, a human transaction of love and kindness and support, respect. And, and I do think the division, you know, it, if you really, you really take a step back, it, it, it's another form of control weaponization that as long as we're on our heels, other people can solidify their positions of authority. And I respect, you know, all people, and you know, if they come at me with, you know, hard left or hard right, I kind of go time out. You realize that like 96% of the country is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you know, the loudest voices get heard right now, and especially in social media. And, and when you look at even the 24-hour news cycle, which is, you know, kind of risen to prominence in my lifetime, it really is interesting to see how it really isn't 24-hour news, it's 24-hour opinions in all of those, we kind of gravitate to the one that really uh, resonates within us. And in that, you know, it kind of gins it up to the point where we can't recognize anyone else. We can't respect any other opinions that we just have to go hard into this information cycle. And it's, it's really been fascinating for me to kind of like interact with people, you know, all over this community and, and around the country that, you know, they get their information from one source. That's where they are. That's, you know, 100% all in on this. And, and it's like, okay, that's fine. But at the same time, I, I understand that, you know, the 370 million people in this country, and there's 370 million individuals in this country, all with their own identities, with their own missions, with their own skills and with their own, um, you know, limitations, with their own needs, wants, desires, hopes, dreams, whatever. And, and I look at that and it's like nothing in this world is a one size fits all. You know, so, you know, we can get into things that are healthy. You know, we know this works. We, we know that 
Um, drinking water is a lot better than drinking alcohol. You know, we know that, you know, there are certain things that are just across the board healthy. Uh, love is a lot better than hate. Okay, we can compare that, right? We can compare. And, you know, so th- there are those things that we know are at, you know, somewhat absolute, but at the same time, it's really um, it's loving people where they are. And I heard someone say years ago, uh, they serve in Haiti. How are you able to serve there? I mean, there's so much need and there's so much devastation there. And there's just, how do you cope with all of that need? And, and they said, well, it's actually very simple. All you can do is love the person standing directly in front of you. And I was like, yeah, that's perfect. We can do that. That's something that's an action item. We can do that. We can love and accept the person standing directly in front of us. And, you know, we don't need to get into hostility or disagreement or anything else. We can just love them and, and, you know, just hope for the best. That's powerful, Scott. That is so good. Stay tuned. Scott Hamilton will return for more in our next episode, 364. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.